Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out! You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. Great to see all of you here on today's Sunday Live program. We have so much to get to today. The Bears have been confirmed to trade back that number one overall pick. We're going to discuss who they might trade it to and what they should demand in return. Should be a king's ransom. We will discuss. Well, the NFL ban hip drop tackles. There's been some news coming out. Now, the NFL wanted to increase player safety. My thing is, haven't they already done that enough? How will defenders even tackle players? We're going to discuss that in a second as well. The MLB is expected to get rid of the shift for this coming season. We're going to read some reactions from players and talk about why the shift should not be bad and why it is a crutch for current Major League players who should sack up and get over it. Plus, near the end, the Chicago White Sox, as we had discussed last week, are in big trouble. Well, now some more news is coming out suggesting that they had a really bad offseason. They were graded by John Heyman of Odyssey and of the New York Post as having a D-minus offseason, one of the worst offseasons amongst any of the 32 MLB clubs. We are going to discuss what's wrong and could anything be fixed before it's too late as the season kicks off. Appreciate all of you being here. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul, right here live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, all places at Sports Talk Chicago. Our good friend John Meadows directing and producing today, running everything behind the scenes, making sure we sound and look good. Big thank you to him and support our sponsors. We talk about every week. Amish Country Farms for the best and the most fresh Amish food in all of Illinois. Check them out today. Also, fresh eggs with the egg shortage going on. You can buy a dozen eggs for $6.99, and they are fresh, and they are real straight from the Amish of northern Indiana with Imports Weekly. So if you're looking for your place for eggs and your place for all Amish food, check them out today and tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. We got their link as well in the live chat feed. <clears throat> Want to start today with this. As we talked about on last week's program, the Bears have made the right decision. Might not have been a risky decision, might not have been a popular or an exciting or flashy move, but they did make the right one in keeping Justin Fields and choosing to trade the number one pick or at least not draft a quarterback at number one. We found some new reporting today from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler that does say, indeed, the Bears will trade the number one overall pick. This is the first time we've seen a report come out suggesting that. We all assumed it. We all kind of knew it. But at this point, now it's official. Now it's real. The Bears will be trading at number one overall pick. So the question is now, why? What should they get back? And who should they trade them to? Trade that pick to? Three big questions right now. Nobody knows the answer, and there's going to be a couple of months still before we find out how everything's going to shake out for the Bears. Now, we do know that there are teams that are going to be quarterback needed. We do know there are teams like the Bears did in 2017 themselves who are going to overpay to move up to draft a quarterback in this draft. There are a couple of really nice options, mainly Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud as well, who we've talked about. 
So I saw this article this morning, and I wanted to touch on it. This is from uh, Bears Bar USA Today. And they ranked Bears' potential trade partners and their willingness to trade up to draft a quarterback. Now, see, here's the key thing that we got to talk about. We've mentioned this before on this program. Which teams are interested in investing in a young quarterback and which teams want a free agent to win today? Now, I'm not suggesting that Bryce Young can't come out of the scene and kill it right away, but chances are he's going to need time to develop. So which teams want to win now? Which teams want to win later? Which teams want a quarterback for the future? Which teams are looking for a veteran on the market like a Derek Carr or an Aaron Rodgers or a Marcus Mariota? Somebody out there who could help them do something today. Here's one team that we know of who is looking for a young QB, Indianapolis Colts. Colts this past season had a mishmash at quarterback that had Matt Ryan start the year on a one-year deal. He did okay, but he was benched for salary cap reasons. They brought in Nick Bowles at the end of the season. Remember him? <laughs> so happy the Bears got him. And then they had Sam Ellinger, the rookie, or the young stud, who turned out to be a young dud. Ellinger this past year did not live up to any expectations whatsoever, threw too many picks, not enough touchdowns, could not hold on to the football, and Indianapolis lost a lot of games when he started. So here's what it says in this article. I want to read this for you. Quote, the Colts are just desperate enough and have the draft capital to make it worth Chicago's while to make a trade, but the Bears would remain in a position to draft Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr., assuming they switch at 1-4. and four. Colts GM Chris Ballard said, quote, he'd do whatever it takes to move up and get the quarterback he desired, and Chicago is counting on that. Indianapolis is, wants to do whatever it takes, according to Ballard himself, straight out of his mouth. Now, they have to get their coaching situation figured out first, which they're, I think, blundering that whole situation. Three interviews. They're, at, they're on their third round of interviews to pick a head coach. And Jeff Saturday, who has no coaching experience, who came in last year and only won one game, the one being over the Raiders in his first game as a coach, he is still in consideration along with many other people at this point. So they may screw up their head coaching position, and that may, in turn, screw up what they want to do in the draft or which quarterback they want to take. Certainly on the table. But I don't care how well or how good the Colts do in the draft. What I'm worried about is, can the Bears sucker them enough to give up so many picks? The Bears move back to four or even further back, and the Bears get a haul for that number one pick. That's all I care about. Now, this could just be posturing by Chris Ballard, right? Colts GM. He could just be saying this stuff, just like Ryan Poles is saying that they're going to keep Justin Fields and trade the number one overall pick. Maybe they're lying. Maybe they're trying to do gamesmanship here, and they're not telling the truth. But when you look at what the Colts have done since Andrew Luck left, I mean, think about the quarterbacks they've gone through. Think about all the guys who've come through on one-year deals and haven't worked out. Phillip Rivers, although he did good, then he retired. Carson Wentz, he did okay, then he was traded. Matt Ryan, who is now going to be a free agent. Sam Ellinger, who is a total bust. Those are all the quarterbacks the Colts have had since Andrew Luck retired. They want a young guy. They want somebody they can develop. Somebody like Andrew Luck, who could be the face of their franchise for 10 to 15 years. I think they've had enough of, let's take a chance on this veteran, let's do a one- or two-year deal, and let's see how he works. And I will say this, too. I don't think it's even a product of the quarterbacks themselves as much as it is the organization. Philip Rivers did great with the Colts, statistically. And he led them to the playoffs. Carson Wentz even did pretty good 
with the, with Indianapolis. I mean, top 500 record, 24 touchdowns, seven picks. I mean, he was pretty solid for them, and they moved on from him. Matt Ryan was back and forth all year, but also was benched not because of necessarily poor performance, but because of salary cap issues. And Sam Ellinger was a complete and total bust. So who's really at fault for the Colts having all these problems at quarterback? Maybe if they had protected Andrew Luck better, they wouldn't even be in this situation. But instead, because he's 29 years old and getting beat up so much, he retired. And now they're in this position where every year they've gone through a veteran and now a rookie or a youngster in Ellinger, and it still hasn't worked. So I really do believe Ballard when he says we're going to do whatever it takes to move up because they are so desperate. They haven't had a quarterback, a franchise guy in five years, and they are sick of the revolving door at quarterback. They're sick of having some new veteran come in every year, do okay, then organizational problems happen, the team isn't talented enough, and nobody succeeds, everybody loses, and then they're on to a new quarterback. I would think that's damn annoying, and that was the cycle there for a bit for the Bears, even. Jake Cutler, Matt Barkley, right? So many guys coming in and out. Then Mitch Trubisky came in. Now it's Fields. I mean, even to that extent. May not be as often, but it's happened to the Bears recently. I'd say in the past 10, 15 years, it's been somebody new every time, and things just haven't worked. Veterans and youngsters. Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman, Jake Cutler, Matt Barkley, Mitch Trubisky, now Justin Fields. It's been a revolving door, and people are sick of it. And for the Colts, it's the same thing. Revolving door, everybody's kind of sick of, okay, here's a new name, here's a new signing, here's a new press conference, new system, new quarterback, and at the end of the day, everything goes to blank because that's what happens to them. This, to me, is the best possibility for the Bears to make a trade, to make a deal. I would also say the Texans, who have the number two overall pick, thanks, Lovey Smith, Texans do need a quarterback right now. They have Davis Mills, who has severely regressed after his great rookie year. Did better than Justin Fields or really anybody in that draft class rookie year, but really regressed last year. They got Jeff Driscoll, who's a complete and total bust. I mean, he's a career-long second or third string guy and really nobody else. They do not have a solid go-to option at quarterback. And do you really think they're going to be in the market for somebody like Aaron Rodgers? Really think anybody wants to go to the Texans right now? Or will the Texans pay? Will the Texans, can they afford somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr? No, they can't. They don't want to. They're still going to be paying this year David Culley and Lovey Smith and now their new coach that they hired away from San Francisco. They're going to be paying three head coaches in 2023. Actually, four when I count Bill O'Brien, who's now the new OC at the Patriots, he is still on the books in 2023. They're spending so much money on coaches, they don't have the time, the energy, or the resources to go out and acquire a valuable quarterback or sign somebody. It's pretty sad, if you ask me. That's the one thing I give the Bears over the years. I mean, we can complain about so many things they've done, but one thing they haven't done, to their credit, is fire coaches prematurely or go through so many coaches in such a short period of time to the point where they're paying three coaches at once midseason. I really do give them that. If there's one thing I give the Bears, they are doing it like the Texans or other low-level NFL franchises that just have no idea how talent works or paying people works. 
The Bears wait till a contract is over and they fire a coach. They are not sitting here paying Matt Nagy in 2023. It's just one coach, and they have money and resources elsewhere to help out in the on-the-field product, actual players. Texans don't. This is why I feel like for the Texans, they are going to need a rookie quarterback because simply they can't afford to go out and make a big trade or sign somebody and pay them tons of money when they're already paying off three different coaches. At once, make it four. Now, with the new coach they just hired. <laughs> paying out four coaches in one year. I, I've never heard of that in any sport. That's what they're up against. That's what they're doing. So this is why I think it makes sense. Todd McShane from ESPN says, quote, the Texans will do everything they can to train up with Chicago. The reason their division foes, the Colts, who are in a prime spot to leapfrog them for the top selection. So that means that the Texans may want in as well. So their division rival, the Colts, are going to try and get a quarterback, and now the Texans may too. It's a battle of which team sucks more in the AFC South. <laughs> which team's more quarterback needy, at least. Here's the quote, but the thought of their divisional rival moving up ahead of them and getting their pick of a quarterback might be enough for the Texans to pull the trigger on a deal with the Bears. Here's the way I see it. It doesn't matter to me whether the Bears trade with the Colts or Texans, although I think those two are going to be the top two the Bears will trade with. It doesn't matter to me who the Bears trade with. What matters to me is will they get enough of a haul back to make it worth their while? Well, the Bears bring it enough to say, okay, this is worth it. This is what we should do. And I think the market was kind of set a couple of years ago when they traded for Mitch Trubisky. They gave up a lot to get Mitch. They gave up first-rounders for the next year, second-rounders, just to move up a couple of spots, one spot. That was it. The Bears gave up a lot because they were so desperate and so needy that the market at that time favored the Bears giving up so much just to get one more spot up. And I feel like in this case, with the Colts and especially the Texans, both teams being so needy, come draft night, they're going to get desperate. And come draft night, they will mortgage a lot of their future to move up just a tad to get the guy they want. The Bears have to play this coy. If I were Brian Poles, I would be stone-faced, have your poker face on the whole time, and be ready to command a King's ransom for this number one overall pick, especially because you could use this pick on whoever you want. If the Bears wanted a quarterback, let's say, they could bring in the best quarterback in the draft class. They could bring in the best player in this draft class. Meanwhile, other teams are so desperate to get them. Right? So this is pretty serious stuff, and now we're going to really see Ryan Poles' negotiating skills at work. Now we're going to know how good of a negotiator Ryan Poles is, and that comes with the territory, being a GM. He could be a great salary cap guy. Know how to stay under the cap the whole time. You could be a great person when it comes to resources or drafting, scouting, but you got to make sure that you know how to negotiate when things are tense and you're about to pull the trigger. Anybody here ever see the movie Draft Day? I did a long time ago. Draft Day, that's real. You're on the phone the whole time. You're in your war room. You're scheming. You're trying to find out what other teams are going to do. You have a draft board. We had Randy Mueller, NFL GM on. Now he's working in the XFL, he said the same thing. They would make like 10 mock drafts and 10 draft boards before the draft started. And they'd zero in on like 30 guys because you never know who's going to be picked at what time. This is serious stuff. So now it's going to be time for Ryan Poles to show off his 
talents negotiating in order to make a deal and get it done right. But if I were him, just a small piece of advice here, don't get too worried, don't get too jumpy. Prime polls, you are in the driver's seat. For once, the Bears are actually in the driver's seat. They're not begging for a pick. They're not begging for a quarterback. They have the spot, and they know what they're going to do. There's no begging. There's no, i got to move up. There's no, I'm so desperate for a QB. I'm going to move up one spot and give up four draft picks in return. They're going to do that to somebody else now, and that's the exciting part. Stay stone-faced. Stay ready for what you need and stay with your purpose and your mission. This draft is not about a quarterback. It's not even about the first overall pick. It's about making your team better, building through the draft, and using that first overall pick to turn into five or six picks. Minimum. That's what you should be doing. So here's your chance, Ryan Poles, to make an impact, but here's your chance for the Bears to build on what you need. The Bears have many holes. We've talked about a receiver, potentially running back, offensive line, defensive line, secondary. Tons of holes. You could address a lot of that in the draft this year. You can make a real difference for your team and have impact players on the field week one if you play your cards right. If I were Ryan Poles, that's what I would focus on. That's what I would do. And I would make trades with teams that are extremely quarterback needy. The fact that the Colts already came out and said, we need a quarterback. We're willing to trade up. Huge. Target Indy. Target Houston. As this free agent market heats up, and as we see where players go, target the teams that lose out on a veteran quarterback. Maybe the Jets lose out on Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe the Panthers find themselves needing a quarterback instead of trying to land the big-time guy in free agency. There could be other teams that emerge that we don't know about today by the time April comes around. So, at this point, it's time for Ryan Poles to do his due diligence. It's time for the Bears to get this one right. But it is good to know that there are suitors and there are teams interested. Just comes down to Ryan Poles being able to be a good negotiator. It's going to come down to the Bears staying stone-faced and staying driven, staying with their mission in order to make a deal, get back a huge haul, and stick with their QB for the future. want to take a look at some of your comments right here. The Colts still don't have a head coach. I know Aaron talked about that. So the Colts still need a head coach before they can really get into negotiations about this first overall pick. And I'm sure they're interviewing the head coaches now, asking them, what would you do if we got the number one overall pick? Which quarterback are you interested in taking? Should we even draft a quarterback? Maybe they're going to go sign somebody instead and fool everybody. Mike, that's true. The Panthers look like a team to offer the most draft capital. And the Panthers could also offer wide receivers DJ Moore on the trade block for them. Would be nice for the Bears to bring him in. That said, you know, is that going to be something they're going to want to do? Will they just trade picks? Will they trade NFL-ready players? That's something that we're going to have to look at and discuss. Aaron, a king's ransom. That's right, it should be. And if it isn't, then the Bears screwed up. The Bears should be demanding the most out of everything here. The Bears are in the driver's seat. This is their opportunity to make something happen. There's there's no waiting around. There's no desperation. The Bears could relax. Even if the Bears can't find a deal, let's say Ryan Poles totally screws up, can't find a deal with anybody. You know what? At the end of the day, what do you have? Number one overall pick. The Bears have nothing to lose in this situation. Nothing. If Ryan Poles literally screws up so much that he cannot find a trade partner because he's demanding too much or he's 
being too indecisive. Guess what? At the end of the day, you get the number one overall pick. This is a non-lose situation. And that's the attitude you have to have if you're the Bears. There's no feeling of desperation. There's no anxiety. There's nothing to worry about. You either trade for a couple of more picks or you keep the first overall pick and draft whatever you want. You could get the cream of the crop in this draft. Either way, you're safe and you're good. And I think Bears fans have to take solace in that fact. No matter what happens, you're fine. We would hope for certain outcomes. We would hope for the Bears to get back five picks and fleece the Colts or the Texans. But whatever they do, I think they're going to be okay. And that's something to really think about. It really is a win-win regardless. Yep, he literally can't F this up. He really can't. And if he does somehow, some way, then we'll talk about it. And, you know, over the years is when we're going to know whether or not he Fs it up, whether or not he screws it up. That's when we'll know. But as of right now, in this situation, as we talk in this context of the present day, there's nothing he can do, in my opinion, to mess this up for the Bears. And I think that's the comforting thing. And that's the good thing that we have to think about and remember when we sit here and evaluate what the Bears are going to do. Now, the NFL also has something else going on. So, NFL draft is going on, Pro Bowl, Super Bowl coming up, which we're going to get to Wednesday night. Big Super Bowl preview, so you want to tune into that show. But an interesting article I saw this morning, and there was some reaction from former NFL players in this too. The NFL wants to ban hip drop tackles. So, you know, tackles where the running back's running, and a defender is going to be behind the running back trying to take him down from behind, usually with his legs and his legs. And, you know, the, the whole criticism is it could hurt their ankles, running backs. Richard Sherman, potentially a future Hall of Famer, said this, a desperation wrap-up trying to prevent a ball carrier from gaining extra yards. That's what this tackle is. There isn't one player saying, quote, hey, I'm about to drop my weight on his ankle when I tackle him. Defense is hard enough with the rules about roughing the QB and interference. This would be be overkill. NFL's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, said the league will have a very active off-season conversation about the maneuver. Welcome to more rule changes and more differences that are going to be coming into the game. Look, I'm all for player safety. I'm all for people not getting hurt because at the end of the day, not only are we talking about a human life, but actually we're talking about an on-the-field product, a marketing product for the NFL. If you have tons of backups playing like we saw week 18, week 17, nobody's going to tune in. But even more than that, we're talking about human beings' lives. I'm all for helping people, all for making sure people are safe. But at this point, what the hell is a defender supposed to do? How is he supposed to make a play? So you can't have your weight land on the quarterback already. You can't even shove him out of bounds if you wanted to a little bit. Same for a running back. It's going to be unnecessary roughness. But now if a running back's running away from you, you're trying to dive and make a tackle to stop him from getting a first down or going all the way to the end zone, it could be a penalty. It could be illegal, an illegal hit. When will this end, people? When will this end? You know, this past weekend, the Pro Bowl just went through. Skills competition and a flag football game. That's the competition at the end of the day, a flag football game. Five-year-olds could go play flag football. We're watching pros now 
do a skills competition and a flag football game. We're watching pros in real games during the regular season, during the playoffs now, who could be penalized for tackling a running back, running away from them, trying to get to the end zone or get a first down. This game is becoming so offensively focused and offensive heavy that there is no art to defense anymore, and that's all sports, really, but especially if this rule were to come into place. How are you supposed to tackle a running back? How are you supposed to tackle anybody? Wide receiver, quarterback even, running quarterback. How are you supposed to do it now if this rule were to come into effect? This is completely against the spirit of the game. And again, I'm not sitting here saying we should bring back headbutting and concussion-type tackles, but I'm just saying. Are you kidding me? You, you can't tackle somebody from behind when they're running away from you? You can't make a last-ditch effort to grab somebody by the ankles or the legs to make sure they wind up a yard short of the first down marker? I mean, what is this? And the fact that this is being talked about and considered by the NFL's chief medical professional... Chief on staff, Dr. Alan Sills. The league will have a very active off-season conversation about the maneuver. And I get people are getting hurt from this, right? People are getting hurt from this tackle. But you know what? It's football. You know the risk when you play the game. Of course people are going to get hurt from this. People get hurt from everything. Even with the roughing, the passer stuff. Look what happened to Tua Tungabailoa this year. There's so many rumping the passer rules in place now, and two, I got like three concussions. You're never going to fully prevent injury in the NFL, and I think people have to start realizing that. And if you want to, that's awesome, but then this is going to be flag football. And if everybody wants flag football, I'm, o- I'm even okay with that. But there should be a consensus on it, not we're just going to make it flag football. That's my whole thing. If everybody wants to come to the agreement, players, owners, coaches, maybe even some fans, that we can do flag football, let's do it then. But something like this, you are ending defense. You are continuing to end defense and promoting offense. Eventually, we'll see 65 to 60 games in the NFL. I thought that was just for the Arena Football League or semi-pro football or even college football to an extent. There are so many rules about protecting quarterbacks, and how about this at the end of the season? How many quarterbacks were hurt? Do all these rules make things better? Tyler Huntley's a pro bowler because Lamar Jackson was hurt. Justin Fields got hurt at the end of the year. There are a lot of quarterbacks who missed games this season, too. We saw Battle of the Backups Week 18 to determine a playoff spot between Miami and New York. Skylar Thompson against Mike White? And this is because there are more rules in football. So because there are more rules, we're seeing backup quarterbacks face each other in a playoff matchup in Week 18. Come on. (laughs) These rules don't always work. They're, They're good intentions, but they don't always come through. So then the question is, why even put them in place sometimes? Sometimes it's overkill. Sometimes these spot fouls that are on the referee's discretion are called wrong. The wrong call is made. They go over the top, and they ruin games, and they affect outcomes. It's the same thing here. Look at the Niners. All these rules, and yet they lost Trey Lance, they lost Jimmy Garoppolo, and then they eventually lost Brock Purdy in a playoff game in the NFC Championship. 
Now he has to get UCL surgery. Trey Lance is still not 100%, and Jimmy G got hurt. Three quality NFL quarterbacks all getting hurt, and all these rules are still in place. So what makes this rule being added, what makes this more safe for NFL players? At the end of the day, people are still going to get hurt because you can't get rid of natural instinct. Players are going to tackle. Every player knows when the running back's getting away from them and they're inching towards a force down, inching towards the goal line. You've got to do everything you can to tackle them. You're going to put your body on the line. You're going to make a diving tackle, moving forward to try and make the play. And if it hurts somebody, it hurts someone. But the tackle has to be made. Defenders know it. So a rule like this is only going to cause more confusion, and I guarantee you this, and I'm going to say it right now on this program. If this rule is implemented, trust me, there will be a couple of games next year in which finalities are decided by this penalty. We're going to see games, fourth quarter, two minutes to go, someone's going to make the wrong tackle like this, penalty 15 yards, team's going to get in the field goal range or score a touchdown to win. I guarantee you right now if this rule is put into place, it will affect game outcomes like all the other ones already do. This is only going to lead to more contention, more arguments, and more problems for football, for fans, for players, everybody, mainly for defenders. That's why. That's what's going to happen. I'm telling you right now. We saw it in the playoffs this year. That Bengals player shoving Mahomes out of bounds. Oh, it's a big penalty. You know what? It was a slight shove. It wasn't anything crazy. But because of the penalty, the Chiefs moved up 15 yards. They got a chance to kick a field goal. They won the game. Now they're in the Super Bowl. I'm just saying I'm not all for more rules. We we have enough rules. There are enough rules in the NFL to determine and help player safety. And I'm all for things that will increase safety, but I don't think this is going to be something that will that'll do it. I'm really, I'm not convinced by this. You shouldn't be either. This is only going to lead to more contention, more arguments, and what? More offense? I mean, I guess if everybody wants more offense and is clamoring for it, then so be it. But people who love the game of football itself and love defense and love scheming, there are people who still like that, believe it or not. They are not going to be happy with this rule. So, I'm just saying, I don't like it. Not a fan of it, and I, I really hope this does not get passed. And Adam, you hit it right on the head. Adam Dobbs comment, injuries are happening because the players no longer get conditioning. Minicamp, training camp, practice have very little contact anymore, and you hit it right on the head. And old players will tell you that, retired players will tell you that, even players from the 2000s will tell you that. Now, in the NFL, no hitting during training camp at all. You get two preseason games, and you're ready to go. And that's why at the beginning of the season, there is more of a developmental period for teams that we've ever seen before. Because teams need a couple of games to get their feet wet because they didn't get in the preseason or in training camp or in minicamp, OTAs even. I'm not saying people should just be running at each other, killing each other in training camp, but you need some sort of contact. Look, you have to practice the way you're going to play. That's a baseball phrase that I learned, but it goes to every sport. Practice the way you want to play. So if you're practicing in shorts and a t-shirt, 
You're not touching anybody. You're, you're moving the practice field dummy around. The fake person, the clay person, or the rubber person, that's not going to get you ready for a real game. You're not going to be ready to face a real lineman or break a real tackle when you're breaking the tackle of some rubber piece of nothing. Right? Practice the way you play. And for the NFL, we are not seeing that anymore. We're seeing shorts and T-shirts, no pads even, and just going through the motions. And that's fine. But then when the real game comes around, you're facing real men in pads, running at you, 300 pounds. How are you supposed to prepare correctly? Anything I would argue, we see more injuries because there's no preparation in training camp. And I'd love to know if anyone ever did a study on that, but I would argue there could be more injuries because nobody's prepared. Then they get into a real season, taking no hits, no nothing, and they get hurt right away because it's the first hit of the year and they're in a real game. I could totally see that being the case. So think about that, too. That could definitely be true. I really hope they don't pass this rule. But I hope they don't do it, but chances are at this point, I mean, a lot of players are going crazy, but if the chief medical officer of the NFL is talking about it, then I feel like it could come into play soon, and that's going to be something that we're going to have to monitor and critique as it comes through. I want to shift to some baseball news now. And Speaking of rule changes, Major League Baseball, if you didn't know, they have instituted a new rule change amongst many for 2023. It involves the shift the shift is going to be taken away. The shift is over. Starting in 2023, quote, MLB is eliminating the kinds of drastic defensive shifts were becoming more commonplace in impacting offense. The new guidelines require at least four infielders on the dirt with two infielders on each side of second base. No infielders are allowed to switch sides and no four-man outfielders fields are permitted. So the shift is no longer. And everybody's so happy about it. All these players, they got Cubs players quoted here. Eric Hosmer quote, I think a lot of us are really looking forward to that. It just kind of seems like there's going to be more hits out there for guys. There's no worse feeling than hitting the ball up the middle hard and seeing the shortstop standing right there. Cody Bellinger, I know that's probably something we'll work on and get used to in spring training, but it's exciting as a left-handed hitter. Why not bunt? I've asked this question so many times and nobody seems to give me a straight answer. If you're a lefty and you continuously pull the ball, you have one of two options. Get better as a hitter or bunt against the shift and force the third baseman and the left side of that infield to respect you as a runner. Why does nobody do it? And now the shift is over because there's been so much complaining. Cody Bellinger, it's not my fault you're hitting 197. Be a better hitter, which means go to the opposite way. The analytics don't reward anybody for hitting to the opposite field, but they reward our walks and strikeouts and home runs only. You get a high war if you walk so much, but really the art of hitting a baseball is going the other way. Tony Gwynn went the other way, 3,000 hits. Wade Boggs went the other way, 3,000 hits. There are people who mastered it and who had long careers and are in the Hall of Fame for doing it. Why is that not being incentivized, nor rewarded, nor at least being talked about? 
in youth baseball, in high school baseball, in college baseball. If you're a pull hitter, it's a bad thing. Why is it in Major League Baseball, it's okay, even in the minor leagues, you got to get better, got to be more well-rounded as a hitter. You have to hit to every single field in order to be considered to be moved up. You are not going to be moved up, very rarely are you, if you're just a pull hitter. Joey Gallo, great example, pull hitter to the depth, to the core, and guess what? His career batting average is 199 in baseball. The only reason he even has a job is because of his cannon arm and because he hits 40 home runs a year despite hitting 199. Kyle Schwarber, same thing. And Kyle Schwarber sucks defensively. But because he could hit 400 or 40 homers a year, bat 218, he has a job. They should not be getting rid of this shift. They are making players more apt at being pull hitters. I don't like that. That is just, it's the opposite of what baseball is supposed to be. Baseball is supposed to be skilled all the way around. You're supposed to go and hit to every single field well. Being a pull hitter helps nobody, doesn't help your team, and doesn't help the mission, especially in games. Get a runner at second base with nobody out. You want to go to the right side to move that runner over to third base. Then with one out, have somebody come up, get a sack fly, or get a base hit, and drive that run in. Hitting to the opposite side still matters in baseball. Being able to hit to all fields still matters, believe it or not. Although it may not be popular, although it might be old school and boomer and get off my lawn type step, It's still true. That's the nature of the game. They drove out Joe Madden for wanting guys to go to the opposite way, amongst many other things. And Joe Madden's a great manager. And Joe Madden knows what he's doing. He's a baseball guy. He's been one his whole life. All this new stuff, launch angle, exit velocity, hit the ball as far as you could. I think it's just a fad and it will go away at some point. Unless the public likes it, I guess. If ratings continue to go up for people hitting 40 homers a year and batting 199, if that's fun to you, then maybe you will like baseball still. Maybe more people will decide to tune in. Maybe everybody wants a 200 hitter with 40 home runs, not be able to hit to one side of the field, and everyone's going to be okay with that. I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's right. I'm not a fan. So I would just hope that people get it right. And the shift being banned, I mean, you're just going to see more pull hitting. And if that's what you like, and if you're looking for more players to simply just, you know, be a one-dimensional type player, awesome. That's great. You will get your wish, and that's going to be nice. But if you're looking for real skilled baseball, if you're looking for players who mastered the art of hitting, understand how to go the opposite way, go up the middle, go to their pull side, and be balanced as a hitter, hit for power, hit for average, drive guys in, that'd be awesome. But we're not seeing that, are we? (laughs) We're seeing a band of the shift, and then we're seeing all these lefties who are hitting 197. Praise it. How about you be better as a hitter? I can't believe that there are so many people complaining that they actually had to ban the shift instead of just evolving as a hitter and being better. I've never heard of that before. Because the game really is player-driven now, because this is ridiculous to me. I've never seen players have so much power when it comes to this. You know, you'd think it'd be, well, we got to evolve as players. we got to get better as players. we got to overcome the shift by being smart, going the opposite way, bunting, becoming better hitters. No, the answer is we're going to ban the shift. Everybody do what they want to do. That's not the spirit of baseball, and that's not what I know baseball to be. 
So I'm really not happy about this development for baseball. And everybody else is. Maybe even some of you are, and that's fine. There are some stats about some Cubs players. Ian Happ would get an extra seven hits from the left side, apparently, according to what would happen if the ship was not in place last year. Bellinger would gain four hits. Hosmer would gain three hits. Is that really a big enough deal, though, to make the shift occur? See, that's my point. We're, we're talking about, oh, my gosh, so many guys are going to get more hits and things are going to be better. Well, we're talking about four, three, seven hits. Is that really that big of a difference to the point where you need to ban the shift and make this whole rule change? Probably not. I'm just disappointed in this direction for baseball. And I'm sure many of you are, too, and I'm sure many of you have seen the evolution of baseball over the past 10, 15 years. It's just, it's becoming, it's always been a business, but it's becoming more of a business in your face, right? There's no more preaching about fundamentals and being better as a player, right? There's only preaching about how much money can I make? If I'm a power hitter, can I hit 40 home runs, hit 200, and still make $40 million? The answer is yes. We're, we're more worried about the corporate part of it, the business part of it, not about the art of the game. And while that's fun, and I know the whole thing's about money anyway, it hurts a younger generation. It hurts kids who want to actually learn the fundamentals and understand what baseball is all about. Some kids genuinely just want to know what the game's all about. Some kids genuinely want to play the game the right way, and they're taught so. Then they get to the minor leagues and the majors, and they realize, holy crap, this is not what I was taught. We got pitchers throwing 100 miles per hour, only going five innings, throwing 100 pitches. We got batters swinging for the fences every time and pulling the baseball at an all-time high. And the answer for Major League Baseball is not get better as players or go back to the basics. It's we got to change all the rules to suit you. As somebody who is a baseball lifer myself, that's a stunning development for me. That is just stunning. I just hope for the best, but I, I'm, I'm not happy with that change at all. And I think, uh, I don't think it's going to benefit baseball as much as they think it will. I mean, if we're talking about a difference of four to five hits per player, then there's really no point in even banning the shift. Four to five hits is not integral enough to me to make a difference. That's just my opinion. But we're going to have to see what ends up happening there. I know I see some of your comments here. Talking about the Hall of Fame again, Mike Rowland. Uh, so if Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, so is Don Mattingly. Mike, you're absolutely, I mean, we got to reevaluate now everybody who didn't get in because Scott Rowland got in. And that's a fact. So Don Mattingly should be in if Scott Rowland got in. Don Mattingly, MVP, was at the top of his game for a long time. He should probably be in the Hall of Fame. And there are other people that we could probably name who now should be in the Hall of Fame who are not because of whatever reason in the past, but because Scott Rowland got in, the standards have changed. Jeff Kent should be in the Hall of Fame. Kenny Lofton, who dropped off the ballot after one year, should be in the Hall of Fame. Lou Whitaker should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there are so many people. We could go down the list of people who should be in now because Rowland got in. So, I fully agree with you there, Mike. Karen B., I agree 100% banning the ship is stupid. More strikeouts, more boring. And that's another thing that people don't talk about, and that's a great point. All we're going to see are more of the three true outcomes. With this move, all we're going to see are more strikeouts, more walks, and more home runs. And, you know, if that's what everybody wants, again, that's fine. But as a baseball guy myself, I'm not too thrilled about that. (laughs) 
I'm not chopping at the bit to see more strikeouts in baseball. I think we've seen enough. And you got Aaron Judge being seriously considered as an MVP candidate four years ago, and he struck out 199 times. We got a problem. That was his rookie year with the 51 home runs. Finished second, thank God, in the MVP boat, but had 199 strikeouts. Everybody told me that wasn't a big deal. That's ridiculous. That is a big deal. Nobody should be winning the MVP award, striking out 200 times in a season. And let Adam Dunn win an MVP, but they never did. What, the times have changed now, so we got to water it down and let more people in, let more people win? It's like the Hall of Fame. So I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. Yeah, Kirk Gibson is in, in the Hall. That's true. Uh, Kirk Gibson's numbers really aren't there. But again, hey, if we're letting Scott Rowland, Larry Walker in, then I guess Kirk Gibson should be under consideration. Why not, right? I hate watered-down baseball, and that's what the sport is becoming, unfortunately. It really is becoming watered down. It's just it's not what it was before for baseball. It's way worse. We'll see how this works. I mean, everybody's going to be happy about this. Players are going to rave about this during the season. We all know it. Oh, I got this home run. I got this hit. I got this double because the ship wasn't there. That's great. My whole thing is just be better instead. Be better. That way you can overcome the shift and get to a point where it's not going to be a problem versus I'm going to complain and moan and eventually I'll get my way and then I could just be the same mid-grade hitter that I've always been. Don't like that. And I don't think that's productive for the game. It's in Sports Talk Chicago with John Then We are sponsored by Amish Country Farms. Hit them up in Orland Park today for the best Amish food. All of Illinois. Fresh imports from Northern Indiana Weekly from the Amish. John Meadows directing and producing. We have one more segment to go. And we are going to discuss... Well, what are we going to discuss again? I should probably remember that. Yes, of course, the White Sox. How could I forget? Well, maybe I forgot because they've done nothing this offseason. That's probably why. MLB Insider grades the White Sox with a D- minus this offseason. D- minus for the White Sox. They got the worst possible letter grade amongst every team that was graded. The White Sox have lost Mike Clevenger essentially one year, $12 million, and now he's being under investigation. The White Sox have not made a move at second base. Larry Garcia, who had a 63 OPS plus, is not going to be in. Pedro Graffold was hired as the manager, and that's about it. They have not done a lot here. Certainly a problem. So I don't know what's going to happen uh, for the White Sox, but I do know this. That grade is pretty low. <clears throat> and I'm certainly not impressed or excited by that. And I told you this last week. I don't know how well they're really going to do this year, the White Sox. I don't know what's going to happen to them. I don't know how good they're going to be. I, I'm not I'm not impressed. They have done nothing to better themselves this offseason, and the money that they have spent is not going anywhere good. They're going to have a high payroll this year, and they have nothing coming in, no talent. They have gaping holes at second base in right field. Now in the starting rotation, they have serious issues. So I'm not, I'm not looking forward to what they're going to be putting on the field this year. I like Pedro Graffol. I think the hiring is nice. It's certainly responsible, and that's great. They made the responsible move in hiring Pedro Graffol. But my thing is, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what product they're going to put on the field. 
I don't know how good they're really going to be. And my prediction was maybe 83 and 79, 84 and 78. They're going to be another 500 team like they were last year. And people are going to be pissed. And they should be. And the D minus grade is probably apt. I'd be a little bit nicer. I'd say maybe a D plus, maybe a C minus, but you get the idea. You get the drift. It's not good. It's not positive or encouraging. And like a lot of other teams here in Chicago, they're just at the mid-level wondering what to do next. The Bulls are in that position. The Sox are in that position. At least the Blackhawks embrace the rebuild. It's discouraging, and I feel bad for the fans more than anything. This was a 10-year rebuild for the White Sox, really. 12 years, really. I mean, from 2008 to 2020. At the end of the day, all they got was a one-division championship, maybe two, but really one in a full season. Now a fired manager and developing more people. I mean, it's just, it's not good. It's not good for them. I don't know what difference is going to be made. I don't know how good things are going to become for them, but I'm certainly concerned, certainly worried. So I I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you Aaron is saying that they're going to miss the wild card. It's the same team from last year. It really is. What are they doing wrong? Well, they're, they're not doing anything good. I mean, they, they haven't made enough moves to get things done. They brought in really nothing, minimal talent. They still have holes at right field and second base, and the D-minus grade is apt. So I certainly wish them the best, and I, I hope that everything goes well, but I, uh, I am concerned for them, and I, I just wish that everything goes well. I want to get to some of your comments here before we finish up. Sox are betting on their young talent, staying healthy. Yep, Andrew Benintendi. Uh, I like the Andrew Benintendi move. I think that was the signing of the offseason for them. They certainly did a good job, but there are issues there. Yeah, I think they are going to miss the wild card, though, and they probably will be the same team from last year. And Tim Anderson is not getting any younger. Aaron, you got all these points correct. Certainly worrisome, certainly troublesome. So... I wish the White Sox the best in their endeavors and what they're going to be doing this season. Uh, at this point, this is a good time to wrap up. Really appreciate everybody tuning in today on this Sunday performance. We're going to be out again on Wednesday to talk more about the Super Bowl, more about some Bears stuff, and all of your comments in Chicago Sports News. Follow us at John Z Sports Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Sports Talk Chicago on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook, and support our sponsor, Amish Country Farm, for the best Amish food in all of Illinois. Big thank you to John Meadows directing and producing and to all of you for tuning in to today's program. Until next time, so long, everyone.